Hello and welcome to this podcast brought to you by Argus Media, a leading independent provider of energy and commodity price information. In this episode of Metal Movers, we will outline and discuss the implications of new European policy on scrap metal exports that has potentially significant implications for all seaborne trade. My name is Ronan Murphy, European editor of Argus Metal Prices, and I'm joined by Chi Hin Ling, deputy editor of Argus Metal Prices and our primary reporter covering the European scrap industry. On 17th of November last year, the European Commission published its long-awaited proposal for the final adoption of new European Union Waste Shipment Regulations, or WSR. The European recycling industry knew for some time that this proposal would contain some measures that would restrict scrap metal exports, but the extent of the restrictions was unclear. In the month leading up to the announcement, concern grew that the Commission would propose a complete ban of all scrap metal exports from Europe, which would of course have seismic ramifications for scrap metal importers across the world. The eventual release of the WSR proposal did not include any blanket ban and outlined restrictions that are far less dramatic, and which on first glance appear to be of limited nature and which are certainly not an immediate concern. But further investigation of the proposal does indicate that the new regulation will impact EU scrap exports in the long term and shows that there is a lot of work that the recycling industry in Europe and in importing countries must do to get the most favourable outcome for future trade. The key headline of the Commission's proposal is that the European Union should restrict export of all waste to non-OECD countries that fail to adhere to EU environmental standards. Despite the recycling industry's best efforts, the EU, like many other global governments, still classifies virtually all scrap metal as waste, rather than the industrial raw material that it represents for so many industries. This measure will affect some of the largest consumers of EU scrap, most notably India and China, but also Pakistan, Bangladesh, Egypt and most of Southeast Asia. The Commission proposes to draw up a list of authorised non-OECD countries that are eligible to import waste products that require approval, which again covers pretty much all commercially traded scrap metal. Countries will have to apply to the EU to be placed on this list and specify the scrap metal products they wish to import. Additionally, EU exporters will have to conduct independent audits of facilities to which they ship waste in order to ensure that these facilities can demonstrate they manage waste in an environmentally sound manner. The good news for EU recyclers and their customers is that implementation of these policies is going to be a slow process. The proposal is now under review by the European Parliament, which means there is still a possibility for the recycling industry to appeal for the export restriction to be removed or watered down. Although my own personal opinion is that this is unlikely as the restrictions are already a lot less far reaching than what I know EU scrap consumers were seeking. The review process typically takes a year, although it could be fast tracked. Even once the rules are adopted, they will only be applied after three years. So in real terms, the earliest that any restrictions will kick in is 2025. So what trade flows will these restrictions primarily impact? Export data shows that non-OECD countries are absolutely critical export markets for all of the major EU scrap flows. Around 23% of aluminium scrap generated in the EU is exported each year based on the average volumes of 2018 to 2020. Exports increased to around 950,000 tonnes in 2020, of which uh, almost two thirds was dispatched to non-OECD countries. Copper scrap supply is around 2.6 million tonnes per year in the EU. Exports on non-EU countries totaled 608,000 tonnes in 2020, of which around 85% was to non-OECD countries. Almost 1.1 million tonnes of stainless steel scrap was exported from the EU in 2020, of which just under half or 420,000 tonnes was to non-OECD countries. And ferrous scrap represents the largest volume of scrap metal exports from the EU, but exports to non-OECD countries relative to total exports are much lower compared to other metals because of the bulk of EU ferrous scrap is consumed by Turkey, which is an OECD member. 
The EU exported 16.4 million tonnes of ferrous scrap in 2020, of which 3.4 million tonnes, or just over 20%, was exported to non-OECD buyers. Almost all of the uh, non-OECD recipients of EU scrap metal exports are in Asia, with India the most consistent buyer, falling in the top three uh, non-OECD importers for each type of major scrap. It's the largest export destination for EU aluminium scrap, um, with its strong appetite for mixed grades like Zorba driving even imports even higher last year to around half of the overall non-OECD total purchases. Uh, aluminium scrap exports to China have fallen back uh, between in the last three years with the introduction of stringent new quality parameters on the Chinese side that only allow for the import of extremely high purity metal. Um, but despite this, China remains the largest, second largest non-OECD reporter, uh, in, importer of aluminium scrap. And the fall in exports of this material to China have been accompanied by a rise in EU exports to nearby countries like Indonesia, Vietnam, Malaysia and Taiwan, where scrap that falls below Chinese quality requirements is now being shipped for processing and onward sale to China. China also remains the largest importer of EU copper scrap, despite exports to the country dropping by more than half since 2018 uh, with the advent of quality restrictions. Looking towards steel scrap, India is the critical market for EU stainless scrap exports uh, to non-OECD countries and typically receives around 25% of all EU stainless scrap exports outside the trading block. Uh, ferrous scrap shipments to non-OECD countries are more diverse relative to other types of scrap, but the two main regions to which material is supplied are North Africa and South Asia. So looking at potential uh, consequences of these limitations, even if most existing non-OECD importers are approved to receive EU scrap under the new legislation, European exporters will now face increased costs to export to these countries, primarily through the requirement for independent audits, but also through greater complexity of paperwork. The European Commission outright stated in the WSR proposal that these new restrictions will potentially lead to 2.4 to 6 million tonnes of waste staying in the EU each year. It expects exporters' costs to rise as a result of the independent audits required. And it said that users of waste in the EU may be able to use more waste as feedstock, which they should be able to purchase at a lower price compared with the baseline. Essentially, by making scrap more expensive and challenging to export to key markets, the Commission hopes that this regulation will make more scrap available to European metals producers at cheaper prices. So what is driving these EU restrictions? While there's no doubt a legitimate concern among European legislators that European waste not simply be dumped overseas to countries where it could potentially threaten the environment and human health, there is also a strong push from European industry to halt the flow of, flow of valuable raw material out of the trading block. On a very basic level, European scrap consumers already want lower prices right now. But one will increasingly shift to need over the next decade as European metal producers transition to a sustainable, low emissions future in order to meet EU climate goals. Uh, a massive increase in consumption of recycled metal is essential to achieve this. European steelmakers have committed en masse to a shift from blast furnace to electric arc furnace production as industry seeks to cut CO2 emissions by 80 to 95 percent from 1990 levels by 2050. Leading steelmakers, including Tata Europe, ArcelorMittal, Verstalpina and SSAB have all committed to build new EAFs in the next decade and phase out their BOFs. Almost all of them have stated that they plan to use these EAFs in conjunction with direct reduced iron plants so that they can carry on utilising iron ore. But we estimate that these EAFs will also use large volumes of ferrous scrap and that a major increase in European scrap demand is inevitable. Uh, Europe's largest stainless steel producers have already produced their steel using more than 80% recycled material. German stainless steel producer Apram last year purchased ELG, one of the world's largest stainless steel scrap suppliers, 
and stated that the acquisition was intended to increase its presence in Europe's circular economy. This kind of vertical integration already exists in the European copper market with Germany's Arubis, which is simultaneously one of the largest copper producers and recyclers in Europe. And it is highly possible that metals producers across the continent may seek to duplicate this model in order to secure the scrap flows they need over the coming years. So I'd like to uh, turn over to my colleague Chi now to uh, ask a few questions on the impact, both short term and long term, of these um, of these restrictions and and what it means for the scrap metal market. So uh, hello, Chi. Hello, Rodan. So first question is really how significant will these restrictions be once they're introduced? Um, what exporters from Europe will be most affected and which import markets could be most disrupted? It's not going to be as tight as some recyclers had feared. We will have to wait until the commission to drop the list of authorised non-OECD countries to fully understand the impact. But I believe that it will have a great impact on, for many recyclers, regardless of which country is banned and which country is allowed to receive EU scrap, mostly because of the increase in amine costs for exporters. Under the proposal, the scrap exporting companies are responsible to demonstrate that their exports are sustainable and they will have to conduct independent audits for the facilities that receive their waste to ensure that the facilities are operating in an environmentally sound manner. I can see that this increase in cost will particularly hurt the small and medium-sized recyclers the most. In terms of the import markets, um, the largest non-OECD buyers of European ferrous and and non-ferrous scrap are China, India, Pakistan, Egypt, um, as, as Rowan said earlier, uh, many of them are in Asia. Based on the another commission's updates to the regulation in November, most of these countries are very much well prepared and have submitted the relevant required documents to the commission, but China did not. And China was um, eventually removed from the annex, meaning that any shipments to China now require prior consent. This may again become the problem going forward when the commission is drawing up a list of non-OECD countries that are allowed to receive EU scrap, because the difference in how China and EU classify scrap, what the EU call metals waste in China is called recycling raw materials. And China is almost certainly not willing to officially say that they want to import any kind of waste after spending a lot of energy and time to set up their, their import regulations. Mm-hmm. So, and, and uh, I mean, is it expected that the EU will engage with uh, closely enough with China to, to ensure that this kind of uh, this kind of lack of communication is improved and that won't be an issue going forward once the um, restrictions are brought in? Yes, I think the EU will have to engage with China, but we all know that all these engagement which are going, they're going to go through in, in Brussels, and and that means that is is they're long long way away from China, and I am not 100% sure how the officials in, in in Brussels fully understand what each country needs in terms of metal scrap. So I expect that the EU and China and many other countries will continue their their conversations, but it could be very difficult. Mm-hmm. And, and you mentioned um, the kind of increased costs on the uh, on the export side, and in particular with the audits. Um, do you th- do do you think there's a particular uh, concern for smaller merchants and, and traders uh, who are perhaps not the don't have the scale of the large recycling firms? What kind of impact could there be on these traders' margins, and uh, and what what implications does that have for the European scrap industry? 
That's correct. I've spoke with several several recyclers and, and, and traders in, in Europe. Many of them said that at the moment, looking at the proposal, they probably will need an extra person just to handle all the paperwork. And of course, they then ha- also have to pay um, an audit fee to an independent firm to audit the facilities, which means that it's going to be a, a, a huge increase in cost because many of these smaller recyclers or um, or small traders, um, exporters, they typically don't don't have a large uh, workforce at all. For example, you know, you, you're able to set up a trading firm just having one or two people. And an additional a mean person will mean that um, it's a 25% or 33% increase in, in terms of uh, personnel. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, and, you know, what I think we're seeing already in, we've certainly already seen in the US in the last year, large scale uh, consolidation across the recycling industry. We're, we're seeing it here uh, in Europe as well with the recent um, Derishborg Ecore deal. Um, and it, it does seem that restrictions like this are just go further towards uh, making it a little bit more of a difficult place for smaller operators um, in an environment where uh, that is increasingly being dominated by giants. Um, one thing uh, I wanted to uh, ask uh, was really whether you think these restrictions will will satisfy what European industry wants in terms of preserving access to raw material, or is this just the beginning? Do, do you foresee further EU scrap export restrictions in the longer term? Yes, I think at least at the early stage of the implementation, um, that there will be more scrap available to, to the domestic market. It is natural to expect that European recyclers will sell more in the domestic market once the cost of exports increase, leading to a higher supply and lower prices in the domestic market. But then collection rates of scrap may fall at a later stage, as we have seen in, in Russia and Ukraine, because recyclers' margins um, start decreasing. Mm-hmm. In the longer term, I can see that the EU may adjust the policy and set even uh, straighter standards, both to the buying countries and and the qualities of scrap it is exporting. I don't think that the EU will have any issue exporting higher grade scrap in the long run, such as PNS and and Shred, but uh, I am very much sceptical on when it comes to the classic uh, or traditional HMS one and two material, which maybe another problem if the EU in the future is to restrict HMS exports because HMS is certainly not the most wanted scrap grade by uh, many European mills. Mm-hmm. And I, well, I, I, I think that certainly there is um, yeah, that, that that may indeed be why we're starting to see in the market, uh, we're starting to see large recyclers exploring ways to um, develop extremely highly processed uh, products that can, where you can essentially kind of uplift obsolete uh, grade scrap to to a higher quality product that really is required for both, as you say, a, a more stringent export market, but is also what domestic um, consumers will require. Yes, that's right. Uh, we've seen some of the recyclers are starting to research. But my question is always is, you know, we can see this uh, new new export ban coming into effect in, in 2024, 2025 or so. And we, we know that research are not going to be done in a couple of years and it may take longer. If there's a gap, then where are these HMS are going to go? Uh, absolutely. And it's kind of a question that was posed to me um, when, I, when I was discussing this um, a topic uh, in a presentation to um, um, another, an Asian Recycling Association. But there, there's a query as whether whether the EU may have watered down kind of uh, scope of these trade restrictions over concern of punitive trade countermeasures from, um, from major scrap importers like India or China. Uh, do you think this is likely at all or, or, or 
or if not, why do you think the measures that were eventually introduced were not as stringent as the, the total ban that was feared? Well, there's always that possibility, isn't it? But I think even even the EU is one of the largest scrap exporters in the world and many countries do heavily relied on imports from, from the EU. I think there are there may be just enough alternative supply from other suppliers, for example, the UK, the US or Japan and Australia and Asia, although they may likely come at a higher price, but they're enough to fill the gap. I don't think I don't think any of the major scrap importers would want to take the risk of starting a trade war. I don't think any of any of the major scrap ex, uh, importers would want to take a, take the risk of starting a trade war with the EU just because of a scrap ban from from the EU, even if it was a total a total ban of exports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I'll I'll just move to uh, to to wrap up now, actually. But I suppose the final uh, question is. Um, just looking at the wider scenario of protectionism in general in the scrap market, you know, the, these restrictions proposed by the EU, as we mentioned, are not in a bubble. We've seen similar, uh, we've seen much more punitive restrictions and duties imposed by Russia and Ukraine in the past, uh, in, in recent years, and that are still effective. We've seen movement from Malaysia. It's This is a recurring issue for the industry to face. I suppose the fundamental question is, do you think this is going to continue to be an issue and going to be one that uh, seaborne trade is going to continue to be disrupted by in the uh, in the medium to longer term? Yes, I think I think at least we'll, I think at least we, we can expect from from the countries uh, from the more developed country like the EU, the US, they will continue to I think they will they will all look to be more protective of, of, of their scrap of their scrap material. I think that scrap material because of the whole movement to carbon neutral and and the green and a green economy i think scrap is becoming more valuable and i think no doubt that all these all these developed countries are looking at the roots that how they're going to utilize uh, more of their scrap and less of primary raw materials in, in steel makings so yes I, I do think that countries will take various measures and we know that when it's come to measures like this there's always a chance that it will disrupt uh, the seaborne markets mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Chi. Uh, much appreciate your time. And to any listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, please tune into our other episodes to learn about the metals market. For more information about the European and global scrap markets, please visit argusmedia.com. Thank you very much. <laughs>